0: So, we're in the middle of this series in our class uh, called Rooted, where we're looking at how to be disciple makers of Jesus and how we must root ourselves, like bury our life deep into the ways and the life of Jesus. That we are rooted in Him, and as we're rooted in Him, He produces fruits of making disciples. And uh, we're walking through basically five competencies. Of being a disciple of Jesus, and the first competency we 've looked at is the competency of pursuing God, that pursuing God, um, Jeff, would be one of those, Jeff, please? Thank you. The competency of pursuing God is not just simply about you and me and us as Christians doing more and more um, religious acts doing religious things to either make God happy or to do this or do that. Um, It is truly about pursuing a relationship with God. It's about pursuing a relationship with God. And at the core of um, pursuing God is simply this idea of hearing God's voice and obeying what he's called us to do. They're just the core, the very simple core pursuing God is hearing and obeying. That's it. Um, Siri, I don't need you. Uh, Hearing and obeying is um, the simple act of that. But there's also practices that we must have of pursuing God. And uh, the first practice we at last week was really hearing God through His Word. God has already spoken through the living and active Word of God. And that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be disciple-makers for Jesus, we must learn how to hear the voice of God through His Word. And we walked through last week on how to hear God's true voice, how to walk through basic hermeneutics, which means how to find the meaning of Scripture. And we walked through this thing called the interpretive journey, where we have to grasp the text for the original audience. So every Scripture was written to a particular particular group of people in in the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. We have to grasp what the meaning was for that audience. That's the first step in that journey as we grasp that step and we, we measure the width of difference between us and the original audience, uh, differences in culture, in language, in covenant, old or new covenant, as we measure the distance and we see how they're different, we can then see how we have to find the theological principle in a text. Every uh, biblical text has a meaning. It has a theological principle that we must find. As we find that principle in the text, From there, we can move to application. We apply the text in our own lives. So we must learn to hear the voice of God through His Word. Today, we're going to look at the practice of prayer, that we hear God's voice through His Word, and we actually talk to God through prayer. Tim Keller says this, prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. So many times, pursuing God is described as walking with God. You have heard of her walking with God, correct? Life is a process of learning to walk with God, learn to relate, communicate with Him. Thus, when Jesus is teaching His followers how to pray, He tells them how to pray. He's really showing them how to walk with God. He's showing us how to walk with God. And one interesting thing, Jesus never taught His disciples how to preach. There was never this basic class on how to preach, but he did teach them how to pray. So if it's God's word where, where we hear God's voice, and prayer is where we talk back to God, here is the big elephant in the room, right? Is why in our lives, and I think if, I, if we pulled the room, we're not going to pull the room, don't worry, pulled the room on our prayer life, I imagine we give ourselves poor marks. So the question is, why is that? If you've seen the New Testament all throughout, there is this centrality of prayer, of the power of prayer. And we live in our lives most times where we feel like powerless people, correct? But yet we have weak prayer lives. The question is why? And, and I have really a question to start us off with. What prevents prayer in your life? What prevents prayer in our lives? Uh, The first, I would say, is outside noise. In each of our lives, there is some kind of thing outside of us that is bringing in noise and taking us away from God. And the first thing I'll say very clearly that prevents us from prayer is sin. The sin in your life prevents you from talking to God. Not that you can't talk to God in the midst of this, but sin, in a sense, takes your eyes off of God and onto yourself. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There is this real sense that the sin in your life... The sin of lust, the sin of lust takes your eyes off of God. The sin of greed, being overly concerned about money, takes your eyes off of God. The sin of worry takes your eyes, your mind, off of God. The sin of lying, just basic stuff that I will tell you, friends, we all struggle with. Not telling the full truth not putting this on your taxes, not doing this, not doing that, not telling the customer the full truth. Those things are lying, and that sin, that, that sin that Jesus died and paid for, it separates us. It, it puts this distortion between us and God. Your sin separates you from this full relationship with God. Our sin does. But I will also say this. The pendulum of that is that we take our sin, because we all struggle in sin, correct? Not just me. We all struggle in sin. And we go the other way, and then we let shame, the outside noise of shame, take us away from talking to God. Because here is the truth. When you fall, not if, but when you fall and you sin, where should you go? Where should you go? Should you become Adam and Eve and try to hide yourself and cover yourself? Or should you run to the one who paid the price for your sin. Here's the lie of the enemy. The enemy today, I believe, will convict us of sin in some way in your life. When the word is open and the church is gathered and we're singing songs to our Creator and we're taking communion and all these things are happening, the Holy Spirit's at work and today will convict us of sin. But here's what happens many times. We're convicted of sin, right? That's a good and a right thing. But the enemy, the accuser, then accuses us of having a wrong identity. But because you did this, you cannot be a child of God. And then shame comes in, where sin should convict and lead us to run to the Father for forgiveness. Instead, our sin drives us to deeper and deeper and deeper shame. So our shame takes us away from talking to God. Hebrews 10 says this. This is so beautiful. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the presence of God because he paid the price for our sin. So we must fight sin. Hear this. When we as we pursue God, we have to fight sin every step of the way. We must put our sin to death. But also, we must not succumb to shame and walk in shame. We are made clean by the blood of Jesus. So fight sin, but also live in your identity as a saved son and daughter of the king. But sin and shame take us and distract us. Last thing, or next thing, is other voices in our world distract us. Let's go to Nehemiah 6 real quick. Go to Nehemiah 6 if you don't mind. I read this in our reading plan this week, and it's a great picture of how other voices can take us away from our responsibility in talking and walking with Jesus. So Nehemiah had this calling to, to rebuild the wall, and people did not like that. Look at verse 2. Sinballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecathirim in the plain of Ono, what they intended to do me harm. People were saying, come down, stop your work. Listen, friends, our work many times is the work of prayer. That's many times our is the work of prayer. And there were voices telling Nehemiah, come down, stop your work, and talk to us. Look at his response. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Nehemiah had this laser focus on what God had called him to do. And part of my heart today is to implore us, to implore myself, to be honest with you, that we have a similar call today as followers of Jesus, as disciple makers for Jesus. And our work is the work of prayer. And I promise you, we live in the most distracted age in the history of the world, correct? We have to intentionally turn off the voices of social media, of email, of outside voices so that we can communicate and walk and talk with God in prayer. Listen. As we are learning to pursue God, if we don't nail down this practice, um, we will flail out. We will. Prayer is what sustains the follower of Jesus. It is not your discipline. It is not your good works. It is not your holiness. It is the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that sustains you. So we must fight to remove distractions. Here's what that means. That means in your life, there should be a time, a place where there is nothing else going on. The phone is away. The kids are away. The spouse is away. It is you, and it is God, and that is it. And if someone distracts you, our response needs to be, I have great work to do. I cannot come down right now. And the thing for many of us, and I am chief of sinners here, is that many times, that is not a practice of our lives. Does that make sense? So we have sin that takes our eyes off of this. We have shame. We have the distraction of the world. Here's the last, probably biggest one. We should have a lack of faith. We have a lack of faith. Here's the deal. If, um, so we're talking about going to the revel this week. We talked about this. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if we're going to go or not. It sounds terrible to me. But um might go to the revel. If we go to the Revel and Hayes sees a funnel cake, Hayes is not going to Connor to ask for money, is he? Hayes is coming to me or his mom because Hayes trusts that we have money, whether we do or not. He believes that we have what he needs. Is that correct? Quite frankly, we do not go to God because we believe we have what we need. Correct? This is terrible to talk about because it's just really convicting. That our lack of prayer reveals our lack of faith. And Jesus starts his throwing in the mouth with this right here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually needy because the good news is actually good news to needy people. For unneedy people, it's just not good news. It's nice news, maybe. It is not good news that's transforming. So there has to be this sense in 2019 where we have the entire information of the world on our phones, where most of us in this room have bank accounts, where we might have retirement put away, we might have this, we might have a house, we might have a car, we have food in the fridge, food in the pantry, many of us. Those kind of people, wealthy, extremely wealthy people by the world standards, we have to reckon with how do we become needy. And I'm here to tell you, whether you know this or not, your need is enormous. It is enormous. What you see with our bank accounts, with our refrigerators, with our homes, with our cars, with our illusion of security is that this world, friends, is a breath. It is a mist. It is here today and is gone tomorrow. This life is nothing in comparison to eternity. So your need is great. And if we live our lives, succumbing our lives to the American way, which is we are the primary thing in this world, we will miss the kingdom of heaven. And of course, we're not going to truly pray because we have no need to pray. Does that make sense? We have to reckon with, are we truly needy people? Do I need Jesus and I'm here to tell you to myself and to you yes 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 we need Jesus your money one day will go away when you die your food will go away one day when you die your retirement one day will go away when you die your house will go away one day when you when you die but your soul will not go away your need is enormous and I'll also add you have the job and the school, and the money, and the house, because God gave that to you. God is provider of every good gift that we have. And for us to have the arrogance to take credit for how we were raised by our parents, for the job God blessed us with, for the money God has given us, for the house, that is, God, that is not your great, your great ability. It is what God has produced in you that produces those things so we should live grateful but needy lives so where do we start if we i pray that we come today and we reckon and say yes i i i am desperately needy today i am desperately needy if we come and the question is well where do we start because we see all throughout we see prayer all throughout scripture correct you know, we see in, in God's word where it says the church and, his, and the gathering of the church should be this house of prayer. Like when we gather today and we had a prayer time at nine this morning and it was this sense of a house of prayer this morning, wasn't it? We felt the presence of God in our time of prayer. Mark Dever uh, said this, he's a pastor, um, said at a great quote. He said, let's spend so much time talking to God in our church that the people who only pretend to praise him are bored that our churches, we should talk and pray to God so much that the ones who are kind of just faking being here, we'll just get bored and leave. That's what our churches should look like, right? These houses of prayer. We see um, the church corporately praying together. We see Jesus withdrawing and praying alone, talking to God by himself. We're We're told to pray without ceasing in God's word. So so that's a lot of ways to pray, and those are all right, and those are all good. But where do we start is the question. And I'm going to propose today and implore us today to start simply with what Jesus taught his disciples to do. Because we're in a series called Rooted. We're trying to literally root our life on the ways of Jesus, on the work of Jesus. And he taught his disciples to pray in a very simple way the Lord's Prayer, which I'm sure if you've been in church at all, if you have been in church at all, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer on some level. He taught them to pray using the Lord's Prayer, not to preach, but how to pray. And, and there's a few reasons I want to teach this to us today and walk through this to us today. And here, here's one reason. It's simple but deep. It is so simple that, that Connor, when he was two years old, could recite the Lord's Prayer. It was that simple he couldn't grasp that, but it was simple enough for him to latch on to. But it is so deep that we cannot grasp it completely ourselves today. It is so grand. The nature of who God is as we talk to him is so great that we can't fully grasp that as we pray that prayer. Second reason, you can teach someone else how to pray using the Lord's Prayer. Here's what I mean. We can walk through the Lord's Prayer You can leave today and teach your child how to pray. We are trying to grow as disciple makers of Jesus, right? And one of the greatest things we can teach people that we're walking with is how to pray. So my hope today is that you can learn in a way, a greater way yourself to pray, but also how to teach someone else how to pray. Let's go to Matthew 6. Let's go to Matthew 6. I better get going. I've got three pages of notes left. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus talking to his disciples. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Here's just a random point. Um, We have to learn how to walk and talk with God by ourselves before we ever go into the world, into the crowd, or try to teach others or show others. There is this nature of you and God that has to be established. Let's keep going. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Let me just read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you have seen a sports movie in the past 20 years, you probably heard that prayer as they pray before they go on the field or some kind of tradition, some kind of thing like that, and that's, that's well and good. I, I don't want us to miss out on the richness of what God is teaching his followers based on the traditions of the world. We have heard this prayer our entire lives, but I will tell you it has rich, rich implications for us today. So in this prayer, we see um, really six different aspects of the Father's character, which is on your sheets, but I'll go ahead and attempt to do this right now. Don't, 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 nobody please laugh right now. Nobody laugh right now. Yeah, is, is it, do I pass? Is that good enough? Oh, that's awful. I got I to gotta fix that. I got to fix that right there. I could do better than this, I think. Let's see here. Uh, is it worse now? Um, hang on. I think. All right. All right. We're moving on. Moving on. Moving on. God's word is powerful. This, the hexagon, right? Okay. Uh, the father's kingdom. Hey, the Father's character. That's how we're starting this thing. The Father's character. Listen, friends. Jesus, this is not an accident that he starts his, the, the prayer this way. Our Father, I always want to say who art in heaven. I was growing up with the King James Version. Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, Jesus is telling his followers that we start with who God is. We don't start with our requests. We don't start with our thoughts. We start with who God is, and here's why. Who God is is our only hope in prayer. It's our only hope in life. It's who God is. This is the primary mode you see in most prayers in Scripture. Go to Nehemiah 1 very quickly. Nehemiah 1. We don't have a ton of time. Let's go there real quick. Nehemiah 1. Back to our God, Nehemiah. Look at verse 5. So Nehemiah sees this great need for the wall. What does he do in verse 5? He goes to prayer. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah starts with who God is. Go to Acts 4. Let's go to Acts 4. Peter and and the early apostles had just been released from prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, I always use this illustration. Imagine Luke, if he was arrested yesterday, and he got released like this morning and was driving to Providence to meet with us, and we were to start with our prayers in service, we'd probably start with, God, please do not let Luke get arrested again. That's how I'd probably start that prayer. How they start it here? Verse 24, when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they keep going and going talking about one thing. They talk about who God is. Who God is is the hope of the world. And I will tell you, friends, as we talk to God, as we use really who he is from the revealed word to talk to him, I will tell you our hearts are changed. As we worship God through prayer, our hearts are changed. What does Paul say? Set your mind on things above. We functionally do that as we talk to God in the way he taught us to talk to him by starting with who he is. And here's who he is. It says, our Father who art in heaven. He's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That means this God is different, right? This me, uh, the other day, Hayes or Connor was asking me, when was God born? I said, well, God wasn't born. God's always been. And he's like, huh? I, was like I can't explain that either. But isn't that different? God has always been. That is the, the God you're talking to. That should change our perspective, shouldn't it? When we have a bill that needs to be paid, when there's a sickness, when there's a trial, we are talking to a God who has always been. We're talking to a God who is sovereign and works all things together for the good of those who love Him. You've been on vacation before. Uh, Miss Courtney plans vacations for people. And I know, I imagine, she goes to every length and detail to plan the perfect vacation. And when, she, when her clients get back and they call or email her and say, this was great, thank you, thank you, there's got to be this great sense of accomplishment, right? And, and for me, if I tell my family to the beach, and we're, right, we're going to go to the beach this day, we're going to go eat this day, and if things happen to work out pretty good, I feel like I have hung the moon. But listen, our God works all this. Can you imagine that, the wisdom of that God? I am proud of myself for, like, going to, like, Alexandria or something. But the wisdom of our God works every single thing. I have no idea how he does it, which leads me to praise and worship. Does it make sense? As we pray about who God is. So he's very different. He's also very holy. God is perfect. He lived in this world being spit at, persecuted, made fun of, deserted, let down, but he never sinned. He never sinned. He is a holy God who detests sin. So he is very different than us, correct? He's always been perfectly sovereign and holy. But we're told to come to him as our father. So he's very different, but he's also very close. So either either you have kids in this room, and we all have parents on some level, For better or for worse, we have parents in this room, right? So on some level, we understand parent-child love, correct? What does Scripture say? That it is nothing, our love for our kids is nothing compared to how our Father loves us. And I will tell you, I love my kids more than anything in this world, right? I cry for them, I get mad at them, all the emotions— but there is just this overwhelming connection of a parent and a child. And we are told to come to God in the same way. There is nothing more intimate than going to your father. Now, friends, the brilliance of the way Jesus taught us to pray is that in literally five words, I don't know, I don't, I'm not counting exactly, in five words, don't hold me through that, in like five, six, seven words, we connect with this just overwhelming connection picture of who god is and friends our hearts and our minds should leap to worship shouldn't they our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name we start with the father's character then we move towards the father's kingdom lord your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven This is the one that uh, I feel like is toughest for me to come back to. If you're like me, if you're a planner, if you're a control freak who wants to know where every dollar is going to be in three months or how this is going to be in two months or all these kind of things, it is a death to me every single day to pray the words, your will be done, your kingdom come, because it means that my will and my kingdom must die. This is the daily dying to ourselves so that God's kingdom can reign in us. Does that make sense? We literally should say the words, Lord, your way, Lord, not my way today. However you want to express that to God, we should express that every single day of our lives. That we come to him and say, your will be done, not ours. Today we die. We see this in Philippians with Paul in verse 20. It's a great picture of this. It says, my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all ashamed, but that with full courage now is always Christ." Will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. <laughs> He's saying, Today, whether by life or by death, God, it's your glory, it's your kingdom. For to me, to live is Christ. If I'm going to be here, I'm going to exalt Christ. But to die is gain. Well, then I'm with Jesus. I, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I, sh- I shall choose, I cannot tell. Basically saying, if I'm going to live today, it's going to be for Christ. That was Paul's Paul's daily life, wasn't it? And we see this just great fruits in his ministry. Listen, praying for God's kingdom to come into your life as it is in heaven, here's what it does. Yes, you're dying today, but what it really does, it takes the mundane of your life and gives it kingdom purpose. Listen, parents, there is great kingdom purpose in changing diapers. There is. You don't see it. There is great kingdom purpose in taking your kids to school. As you go to work and you're dealing with a, a, a bad boss or annoying coworker, there is great kingdom purpose. As God's kingdom is reigning through you, you in a sense are showing people what God's kingdom looks like on earth. That should transform our day-to-day life. And, and many times we live these mundane lives because we're living for our kingdom. Listen, friends, our kingdom is mundane, it's boring, and will go away, right? But praying for God's kingdom to come into our lives as it is in heaven for His will to be done will transform. It's like, this is very cheap, it's like a garden blooming. Like there's actually life to be found now. And many times our lives are like these dead gardens. We're trying to like raise this kingdom up in our own power, and we're failing. Because we start with who God is. As we die to ourselves and go to his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, things will look different. They just will. And I would encourage you, pray this prayer in a very practical way. Start with your every single day. Dear Lord, as I go to work today, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come through me at work. Dear Lord, as my kids get up in 30 minutes and there's breakfast and there's diapers and there's changing and there's homework and there's this as there's that, let your kingdom come. All right. Father's character, Father's kingdom. Next we go to, we see the Father's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And we talked earlier about how how we're provided for in America, most of us pretty well. Like we most have food in our pantries and we have savings accounts and and that's a good and it's a blessing from God. I'm not saying it's wrong. So how do we pray for provision in America in 2019 is the question. How do we come? I think there's a few things happening here. Um, And I will just got to give you how I pray this in my own life. I pray for two things. I, I pray for God to remind me he's the provider. I'm not the provider. Does that make sense? There is this sense, um, and we are called to work and provide for our family. We are. I, I'm not, that is in scripture. But God is the ultimate provider. Now, what that means is, He might provide in a way that I don't like, correct? It might mean we can't go to the movies this Friday night or whatever. I, that sounds weird. We can't do something because God provides this certain way. And I have to be okay with it because He's provider. I'm not. He's provider. And second, I think we have to ask God to provide for us in a supernatural way for our spiritual need every single day. My prayer many times that God will provide me enough emotional and spiritual strength today to do God's purposes. I need I need his strength today. Not tomorrow. I need it today. So the question I would ask you is, what is your daily bread right now? If you were to write down a piece of paper, what is the daily bread right now? What is the need in your life right now? Go to your Father who is in heaven and ask Him. Start with who God is. Ask for His kingdom to come first. But then ask God to provide for your needs, what they might be. Let your heart be aligned with His purposes. And then ask for God to move. Tim Keller says this. We know God will answer us when we call because one terrible day he did not answer Jesus when he called. Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits. It's this great exchange, right? That he hears our prayers because of what he did for us. So we see the Father's provision. Next we go to the Father's forgiveness. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We get the Father's forgiveness. First John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And friends, I will tell you, uh, in the church, and I think this is true for our church today, um, we dabble and play with sin way too much. We take sin way too much. Too lightly, and our hearts, I believe, many times are dull to the things of God, dull to the voice of God, because we just live in sin. We don't call sin what we call sin struggles, we call sins bad habits. No, your sin and my sin is an affront to a holy God that led to the crucifixion of our Savior because of yours and my wicked sin, and I believe. Um, by us not calling our sins sin every single day, we just walk in our sin. There, and what happens, too, is our heart is dull to the things of God because we walk in sin, but then the flip of that is that we don't forgive others of their debts. Right? The, 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 the just the hypocrisy of us. We walk in our sins and judge others for their sins. This many times goes back to us just being needy. Us knowing that we need a Savior. Listen, God forgave the greatest offender, which was you. So we can forgive the lesser offenses against us, can't we? But if we don't see our offenses great, we're never going to forgive other offenders. Um, Listen, confessing sins daily to God, it humbles us. It also does this. Uh, the sweetest times in our lives spiritually, this is for some reason, is when we truly grasp the forgiveness of our sins. I'll never forget I, I, I was walking in sin, this is 12 years ago, I think, just deep sin. Um, I blew it. I remember being caught. I remember um, being forgiven. I remember this place I would drive by in the midst of walking through just the sorrow of my sin. And to this day, if I think about that place driving by it, there is this sweetness to God's forgiveness, this humility I feel for the forgiveness that I need still today. There is this sweetness that we miss out on with our Savior if we don't go to Him with how He's forgiven us. Does that make sense? We are missing out on this just deep fellowship with our loving, graceful, forgiving God we got to keep going here. Uh, the Father's guidance. He says here, to lead us not into temptation. Oh, this is terrible uh, shape right here, what I've done. I apologize for this. We must walk in the Father's guidance, because here's why. What we just talk about, we dabble in sin too much, don't we? We, for, we, for, we, we confess our sins daily, as we should, correct? So we must ask God to lead us away from the things that tempt us to go away from Him. We, we literally must cry out to our God to help us every single day. Your soul desperately needs to fight your sin in this way. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness. And as we pray this, there becomes this this supernatural awareness of the things that lead you away from God. But many times we have no idea how we walk into sin because we're not actually talking to God and letting His Holy Spirit bring those things up into our lives. The Father's guidance. And last, we pray for the Father's protection. He says, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. I say this, um, Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's a key, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your primary problem is not the things you see in this world, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is real. The enemy is real, and he is out to seek to, to kill, to destroy, to accuse, distract by any means necessary. I will tell you in my own heart this week, there has been just heaviness all week long. And how many times, how many times I prayed this prayer this week? Probably once. Full confession. I am teaching this to you guys, and I'm like, well, I need to walk in this myself. There is this true sense of um, we just don't understand how deep the battle is. How de- there has to be, in a sense, like just you and God, we are going to battle this just together. There's got to be that sense. So, wrapping up, the Lord's Prayer is a framework for us to pray. It's a framework for us to pray. And here's kind of four ways you can pray this. I'll, you can write this down. First, just pray through it like normal. As we just walk through, kind of just pray those things to God. Kind of add your own application or your own words to this prayer to kind of talk to God in a normal way. Just pray through the Lord's Prayer using this, this method. Second way, as you're praying this, when one of these parts, maybe it's your sin, maybe it's a need, maybe it's who God is, one of these parts just kind of jumps out and grabs your heart, just stop right there. Just lean in to that section of the Lord's Prayer and just kind of talk with God about who He is or maybe about how to fight temptation or, or whatever it might be. Just kind of stop in that one area and focus your time of prayer on that one area. Second way, you can drop your most pressing need into this prayer. Let me, let me give you an example. So say you've been walking in sickness. Uh, dear Lord, you're the, you're the healer over everything. And this sickness, you can heal immediately because of who you are. You're my Father in heaven. But Lord, even more than my sickness, I want your will to be done in my life. If that means this sickness stays with me, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. But dear Lord, I will ask you today, my daily need is I need to be healed from this. I need to eat better today. I need this. I need that. Dear Lord, give me this daily bread. Dear Lord, forgive me for how I've doubted you in the midst of my sickness. Lord, please forgive me as I forgive others, Lord. Lord, lead me away from resting or or focusing on my sickness today. And dear Lord, protect me from the attack of the enemy. Protect me from being discouraged in the midst of my sickness. We can drop our needs right into the way God has taught us to pray. Or a person that maybe it's your spouse you want to drop this into. I do this all the time for my wife, for my kids, for people that are lost around me. I just drop their name in this and I pray the Lord's Prayer over that person. Because here is this, the, the, the here is the crazy news, is that God works, prayer works. God is at work in the life of people. And when needy children come to their father, our father responds. I've got six steps for you to take this week, if you want to take steps this week. It says risk events on here, because it is a risk to apply the word of God to our life. It means you're going to give up something to apply God's word. First event, commit to finding a place and a time for private prayer. I think it would be a great thing for every person in this room to basically have uh, written down when and where they're going to pray every day by themselves. Commit to praying the Lord's Prayer every day this week. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week. Find another Christian and meet with them, either on the phone or in person, for the purpose of praying together. Pray with other believers. Pray the Lord's Prayer for someone in your life that is far away from God this week. Last thing, teach someone to pray using the Lord's Prayer. I would encourage each of us this week take a step. Do something to begin to walk in the practice of pursuing God through prayer. Let's pray.